All right, let's open up our Bibles to Psalm 25. If you don't have a Bible, there should be one under the chair in front of you. You can grab that. Psalm 25, it's about halfway through your Bibles. Psalm 25, we're here, we just started last week at this new series called Lift Up Your Soul, and it's, it, it's gonna give us the opportunity to walk through Psalm 25 and to learn with David not only how to survive in the midst of chaos and affliction and difficulty that is beyond our control, but how to actually become stronger through it. Because Psalm 25 really shows us how critical it is and how possible it is to find the grace of Christ in the grip of chaos. And today, we're looking at verse 2. Psalm 25, verse 2 says, O my God, in you I trust. Let me not be put to shame. Let not my enemies exult over me. This is God's word. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we need you to teach us, to, to train us, to prepare us, to change us in so many ways. Help us, Lord, to know you, to know ourselves, to grow and strengthen in our faith and in our hope. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Psalm 25 really is about David's appeal to God for continued strength and grace in the midst of great difficulty that is beyond his control. In a word, David is experiencing disappointment in the world, in his life. And we all know disappointment. Disappointment is no respecter of persons. You know it. I know it. Sometimes we get disappointed, and sometimes it's significant. When I was a kid, I had this this belief Right, that if, if I could just get a jean jacket, I would be cool. And I, I really believe this. I was a little kid, and I wasn't cool. I was a dork. And uh, I liked, as a little kid, I had like horror movie masks and horror movie posters. And my, like I was, a, I was the weird kid that that wasn't cool back then. So I thought, if I get a jean jacket, though, that's objectively cool. I will be cool. So there I have this desire. So I let my parents know, hey, the one thing I want from a birthday is a jean jacket. Now, if I asked my parents for something reasonable, uh, I would always get that thing for my birthday. It wasn't crazy, right? And so I, I was expecting the jean jacket. And then my birthday came, and sure enough, boom, a jean jacket in the box. I could pick it up. I could tell by the weight, by how it feels. This is a jean jacket. I opened it up. Sure enough, perfect Levi jean jacket. Perfect fade. Everything looks good. I'm going to be 80s cool and... Um, I, I'm, I'm just so thrilled, and then I take it out, and I look at it, and on the back, they had ironed on J-O-E. They ironed on my name in velvet letters on the bottom of my jean jacket, which is not cool. If you don't know, that's the opposite of cool. That's lame. And I uh, was super disappointed, and I thought, I got I to gotta wear this stupid jean jacket. I mean, Mom and Dad got it for me, so I got it. And this is how dumb I am. I, I put it on, and I'm kind of sheepishly walking through, and then... Down the hallway, all the people I don't know are like, oh, hey, Joe. What's up, Joe? How you doing? And I'm like, <laughs> I threw it away. I never wore it again. It was the worst 
the best worst present ever. Wow, it was brutal. I know that's a stupid thing. It's, you know, I had this expectation and then I, I, I didn't get it. But for a little kid, maybe that's big. But you guys are experiencing disappointment in your lives and it's real and it's, it's significant. Disappointment isn't just, oh man, something didn't go my way. Disappointment is grief or sorrow or anger that is a consequence of your expectations not being met. Yeah, grief or sorrow or anger because something that you genuinely expected was removed, disappeared. And that, that comes with chaos. That comes in the midst. Like disappointment is always in the midst of chaos and tribulation and trial and affliction. It's a part of life. And with the issue of disappointment comes the question, do we blame God? Are, are, are we supposed to be disappointed with God? Will we be disappointed with God? Should we be disappointed with God? Or maybe more specifically, will God disappoint us? And the answer to that is it depends. It depends on your expectations. What do you expect from God? You see, because there's a... Some, you know, you might have expectations that are completely unrealistic and unwarranted. Or you might have expectations that are actually rooted in what God has written. In other words, if you have a sense of entitlement before the face of God, then yes, I promise you, God will let you down a lot, according to your expectations. But if instead your expectations are focused on the promises that God has made, then I can assure you, God will not let you down. So here's the principle I want us to hold on to today. The principle that we'll get from this verse and a few others in the scripture. The promises of God rid us of entitlement and strengthen our hope. It's the promises of God that'll do this. The promises of God embraced, focused on, believed. They will rid you of any sense of entitlement, but will also, will also strengthen your hope. So here's what we're going to do. I want us to first consider the danger of our entitlement, right? Having that kind of an attitude, the danger of our entitlement. Then I want us to consider the hope of God's promises, and then we're going to look at verse 2 and consider the plea of our faith. David's plea here. It's the plea of all faith. We'll look at that. So first, the danger of our entitlement. In other words, what do you deserve? Right? What do you deserve? What do you have coming? And we, we deserve things in different ways, right? You might deserve something by way of birthright, right? Uh, you, you may deserve something because you've worked hard for it, right? Even the Bible, Jesus says the worker is worthy of his wages, right? So you can earn your pay. You can earn your keep in the world. There are certain things that we should expect, and there are entitlements that are appropriate or fair. You can even just think about it just relationally, right? Um, you, if you give respect to somebody, it's not wrong to expect respect in return, right? You give respect 
You expect respect. Now, it doesn't mean you're always going to get it. Sometimes people play the fool and they don't respect you back. That's life. But it's not wrong to expect it if you've given it. Or you might, just by virtue of living in America, you are entitled, right? Entitled to freedom of speech, freedom of religion. You should expect that. That's an appropriate expectation. Now, it doesn't mean you're always going to get it. Sometimes governments mess up. But entitlement, entitlement is tricky. The idea of being entitled to things, this this sense that we are entitled to much, that we're entitled to a lot, that people, the world, owes us something. And let me just be really clear here. I think most of us know this. The world owes you nothing. The world doesn't owe you anything. It just is. But the problem is with a sense of entitlement where you think you are owed, where people owe you, where you just deserve more, usually more than other people, that sense of entitlement that you have it coming for whatever reason you've determined in your mind is problematic because it usually bleeds over into our understanding of God. What do you deserve? Well, I'll tell you this. If you have a sense of entitlement where you believe that you are owed in life, in your life in particular, and there are things that you are entitled to, but when this gets out of hand, when we begin to think that we are entitled to more than we deserve, you are simply breeding disappointment into your life. You are are guaranteeing it and increasing it. Believing that you're entitled to more than you deserve makes it very difficult to learn the lesson that most of you have already learned, hopefully, that life isn't fair. See, you all know it already. Life is not fair. If it was, I'd be 5'10 and have a full head of hair. (laughs) Uh, You know what I mean? Tattoos I could come off, like the bad ones that I don't like, I could just get rid of them. Life life isn't fair, like based on, on what? Life just is. And the longer you live, the more you realize, like, yeah, you know what? Some people have easier easier lives, and some people have harder lives. Some people have easier seasons, and other people have harder seasons. And if you're walking around thinking that you deserve something better just because you're you, you are setting yourself up for disappointment. What do we deserve? What do I deserve? It usually bleeds over into what I think about God. You see, if you feel entitled, it ultimately will wind up making God your debtor. Your debtor, he owes you. That's the perspective, the self-centered, self-ist perspective, right? The man-centered, me-centered perspective. God owes me. I actually knew a guy, a friend of mine, years and years ago, decades ago. uh, He wasn't a good-looking guy, tall, awkward. By the way, I'm short, not good-looking and awkward. I'm not making fun of him. I'm just describing him so you have a visual, right? So he he wasn't, the point is, is like, he wasn't the ladies' man. He wasn't the guy that other ladies would be like, What's he doing? What's he got going on? Like, it wasn't that guy. And he was awkward and everything. And he didn't have a girlfriend, right? Shocker, right? Neither did I at the time. It's fine. He didn't have a girlfriend. The difference was him from him and a lot of the other guys that I knew at the time was he felt that God owed it to him. He really believed that he deserved, that he deserved a girl, a certain kind of a girl, 
Uh, and, 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 and it's because of him. I deserve it because I am me and I've done these things and I've lived my life. I deserve it. I earn it. And we tried to explain to him, bro, it's <laughs> you don't. You don't deserve it, right? You might be worthy of a good woman by being a good person, but, but you don't, do you, have you, can, you can't earn it. You can't deserve it. And you know what? In the midst of his, you know, crybaby, me-centered uh, perspective at the time, God still kindly gave him a good and godly woman who was way out of his league in every, in every socially, in every way, and, uh, and really just satisfied the desire of his heart. But he certainly didn't have it coming. The problem is, is when we are entitled, we think that God owes us. What does God owe you? See, God doesn't owe you anything. If we're just being honest, God doesn't owe you. God owns you. Right? He made you. He created you. He created you for himself. You exist because God said so. God doesn't owe you. He owns you. God doesn't owe you anything, but he gives you everything. And that's what makes God so glorious. Read the book of Job. If you want to have a, a good perspective in the context of, of a story, a true story, if you want to learn about this God and, and, and how he relates to us, I would encourage you to check out Job because Job's life went into utter chaos. It was out of his control. Bad things happened. He lost his family. He lost his wealth. He lost his health. And, and he couldn't point his finger to blame anybody, though other people were telling him it was probably because of his own sins, which it wasn't. And in the end, God helps Job to really understand, I don't owe you health or wealth or prosperity, but I give you every good gift you will ever experience in your life. This, this is important for us to grasp. The danger of entitlement leads us to become self-centered people who put unrealistic expectations on God as if he owes us. We are not entitled, we have not earned health or wealth or prosperity before the face of God. You can work for those things in the world, but God does not owe them to you. If there is anything that God does owe us, if there is anything that we have earned, that we deserve before the face of God, it is his judgment, it is his justice, because the one thing that we do contribute into the world perfectly is sin, because our best deeds, our, our best turnarounds, our, our most meritorious works are zeros because they are not perfect. They do not stem from a perfect heart. They are not perfectly executed in this life. So the only thing that we can actually lay claim to to say that God owes us is his judgment or his justice. And yet he doesn't give us that. Instead, he offers us his grace, his mercy, his forgiveness in his son, Jesus. So the danger of entitlement is that we believe that God owes us and that makes it very difficult for us to handle his disappointing providence or our disappointed lives. But it's, I got to say this, this is really important, right? Because you can go too far with this. God doesn't owe me anything. All I have earned from God is his judgment. That can then lead you to wrongly conclude that you deserve every bad thing that's happening to you. And you don't. Some of them you do, totally, because it's your fault, you dummies. Sometimes you do the wrong thing, and then you, you, get, you burn yourself. You have that coming. That's on you. That's on me. 
But most of the bad things that happen in your life, you don't deserve that. Just because you don't deserve God's grace doesn't mean that you do deserve every bad thing. Not every bad thing that happens in your life is judgment. It just is. It's a consequence of sin in the world, sure. But it's not necessarily a consequence of your sin. It wasn't Job's sin that led to his chaos, but he still looked for the grace of God in the midst of it, and Job found it. So just take note. You do not deserve all the bad things that you experience in life. The danger of entitlement is constant discontentment and the inability to find the grace to help you in the midst of it. So we want to be careful of entitlement. All right, so what is the hope of God's promises, though, right? The hope of God's promises. If we can step back from a sense of entitlement in what we think we're owed in this life and instead focus on what God has promised us in his word, then we won't be disappointed. In fact, our hope will be strengthened. God owes us nothing but gives us everything. Every good gift, James tells us, comes from the Father. And the promises that God has made are all found and fulfilled in Jesus. From the very beginning, he had been promising that there would be one who would come, right? The Christ would come. And so all of these promises, right? He's like, oh, it's going to come. Genesis 3.15, I'm going to raise up from Eve. Her offspring's going to come, and he's going to conquer the devil. He's going to conquer evil. He's going to make things right, right? That's the seed promise. But in the promises continue. In Isaiah 53, this one who would come, this Messiah who would come is going to take away our guilt, our sin. We are going to be spiritually saved, right? And so the promises continue. Uh, In 2 Samuel 7, we learn that this this offspring who's going to come is going to come through the line of David, and he's going to establish a kingdom, but it's going to be a kingdom that never ends. It's going to be a spiritual kingdom, an eternal kingdom, one that admits all people who are willing to come in faith. In Ezekiel 36 and in Jeremiah 31, we, we learn that this new kingdom is going to be uh, contained within a covenant. And in, in, this, in this new covenant, it's not just going to be, oh, that, that land and borders are strengthened, but our hearts are renewed. We are changed on the inside. God's going to change our spirit. He's going to put his spirit within us. He's going to transform us and cause us to walk in his ways. And then what happens? Jesus is born of a virgin. The Son of God arrives and fulfills all of these promises, and then the promises of God continue. Promises that are always relevant to our lives, but especially relevant in the context of chaos. For example, one promise is is if you seek the Lord, if you truly seek him, you will find him. We read this in several passages, but let me just say, Luke 11, 9, Jesus himself says, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. Acts 17 says that God has put us where we are and when we are so that we would seek for him and find him. If you seek the Lord in the midst of your chaos and pain, you will find him because he is there. Another promise of God is that he will always love us and never stop loving us. Do you know how critically important this is to the livelihood of your faith, that God will always love you. He will never turn away. There is no wavering with him. He does not quit. He does not give up. He is not temperamental. You cannot annoy him out of his sovereign perfection of affection for you. You can't. You can with me. 
You can annoy me into not loving you very much. I can annoy you into not loving me very much. Our, our, our love, our affection, right? Even if we're keeping the commitment real, we still can really kind of hate each other sometimes, right? Like just, just personalities and things. We just, we don't like each other sometimes. I get it, it happens. God's not like us. God's not like us because he is eternal and unchanging in his being, wisdom, power, holiness, justice, goodness, and truth. Scripture says that God is not like us. He does not change his mind. So his love is forever. Oh, give thanks to the Lord for he is good. His steadfast love endures forever. God uses our pain for our good. That's a promise. He will use your afflictions. He will use the chaos for your benefit. Romans 8, 28, we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to his purpose. We're told that those who have faith will persevere in their faith, that they won't ultimately quit. When you want to quit, when you try to quit, God will not quit you. He will cause you to persevere. Philippians 1, 6, he who began a good work in you will carry it to completion. He promises rest, rest for the weary. Jesus says, take my yoke upon you and learn from me for I am gentle and lowly in heart and you will find, you will find rest for your souls. One of the first books I got as a new Christian, uh, used to go to the Galilee Christian books. It was right over here in St. Charles. If you're old enough and you were a Christian back then, you know it. Galilee Christian books used to go in there, buy all kinds of weird stuff because I didn't know what I was doing, just buying stuff. One of the first books I bought was like God's Promises. It was like a, a, like a fake leather, little look like, look like a little New Testament, but instead it just had God's promises in it, which was ultimately just a list of scriptures, right? And, and what I found in it was well, about a third of it, like there were not promises. So they were just like taking verses out of context. But the other two thirds of the book, it was simply some passages of scripture, some of which I've read here. And it was really helpful for me because it reinforced these truths that what God has promised, he does deliver on. He doesn't go back on his word. He's not too weak. He's not forgetful. He's always faithful. God's promises, they strengthen our hope because they come from him. I can make you a promise. I can break that promise. If God makes you a promise, he cannot break it. He can't. It's not in his nature. The promises of God strengthen our hope, especially in the midst of chaos when everything else is moving or fading or cracking and breaking. God stays steady. The promises of God do not disappoint. Now, Here's where I want us to see the plea of faith, what David is actually doing in the context of his chaos, what you and I need to do when we are in the midst of chaos, right? The plea of faith. David cries out, oh my God, in you I trust. Let me not be put to shame. Let not my enemies exult over me. I love this. In the midst of chaos, what does David do? He doesn't look down and focus on his circumstances to the exclusion of God. He does not try to handle his business on his own, right, which some of us want to do when we're in the midst of these kinds of situations. Instead, he looks up and he cries out to God and he says, my God, not just God, not just, oh, Lord. He's not just addressing the Lord. He ad he's addressing the Lord who is his Lord, my God meaning that there is faith, there, there is a communion, there is a relationship, sometimes weak, sometimes strong, but David isn't confused about it. He is addressing the God who knows him by name. Oh, my God, in you, 
I trust, right? I trust, I am believing, I have faith, right? And we've talked about this a number of times, even last week, we hit on it, we're just gonna touch it again briefly. To believe, to have faith is not merely to believe in God, it is to believe God, to believe him when he speaks and he has spoken and so we take him at his word. If he says, if you seek me, you will find me, then we believe him, we take him at his word. We believe in him, we believe him, therefore we believe his promises. We take them seriously. We go all in on the promises of God. So he's believing, he's trusting, therefore he says, let me not be put to shame. Let not my enemies exult over me. He's saying, God, don't let me down. Which might feel weird. It might feel weird. Don't let me down. Well, first of all, God doesn't let us down. Second of all, kind of makes it sound like he owes you. Don't like that. Be careful there. Don't embarrass me, Jesus. He is kind of saying that. Kind of. It's a little bit. It's more complicated. It's deeper. It's more sober. And there's more faith in it than that. But to understand what he means when he says this, let me, let me put it like this. Everybody that's watching David's life look like it's falling apart at the moment. Everybody that's watching, especially his enemies, they're watching. They all know David believes. David has faith. Yahweh is God. He is my God. He knows those promises, and he has no doubt made those promises known. David has made them known. God will sustain me. God will deliver me. God has my best interests in, in, in heart. God will vindicate me. He's probably shared some of the promises that God has made. And so he's saying, God, everybody's watching. Don't let me look like a fool, like I've been, believed, like I've been believing in something that, that isn't real. I don't want all these people that are watching to think that you are a joke. I want them to see that you are faithful to your promises, that you do stay with your people, that you do support me, that you do guard me. So God, don't let them rejoice over me. Don't let them jump up and down and rejoice as my life falls apart completely by abandoning me. Don't abandon me. Instead, strengthen me and fulfill your promises. Let me just read a couple of passages of scripture where this sort of a thing is repeated. First of all, in the same psalm, Psalm 25, verse 20, oh, guard my soul, right? Guard my soul, deliver me. Let me not be put to shame because I take refuge in you, right? So I want everybody to know that I take refuge in you and it actually is safe, though they might take my life or they might take my child. They, things can happen to me, but God will not abandon me. Or we can go to, let me just go to the, the main one here. Psalm 119, verse 16. This, I think, gives us the greatest amount of clarity. Uphold me according to your promise, right? Uphold me according to your promise that I may live and let me not be put to shame in my hope. So that's the whole issue. I have hope. I have faith. So God, I need you to show the world that my faith is not in vain and that you are not fake. So he's saying in a sense, Lord, don't disappoint me. Don't disappoint me by not keeping your promises. Now, this is a, a, a negative way of saying a positive thing because, of course, he believes that God will keep his promises. 
But in the midst of the, of the, of the crisis, of the chaos, in the midst of the, the change and the, and the fear, he's crying out and saying, God, please make yourself known here. Prove my faith. Prove your faithfulness. He's, he, he is, in a sense, saying, I want to be vindicated before my enemies, but more important than that, he, he wants God's name to be vindicated because that's the goal of faith, ultimately, right? The goal of faith. If faith is trusting or relying upon God and his promises in Christ, if that's what faith is, the goal of faith is ultimately the glory of God. The goal of faith is the glory of God. It is to see God's name honored, to see his name respected, lifted up, and, and believed on by all people. That's our goal. We want God to be seen for who he actually is, holy, righteous, perfect, good, generous, kind, faithful, forgiving, restoring, full of grace and mercy. We want God to be seen for who he really is. We want God to be believed on. And the thing about this kind of faith, the thing about this kind of faith, like this faith that sees the glory of God as the goal, this faith that cries out to God in the midst of chaos, this is the faith that actually prepares you for difficulty. It prepares you for the chaos. You don't necessarily deserve your hard times and your trouble, and you probably don't, unless you do. But probably not. But you can be prepared for it. And God can use it for your good. In fact, he promises to do so. See, faith fits us for the chaos. Because chaos is a testing. Do we really believe? To whom will we go for help? What do I feel entitled to? Faith fits us for it. I was at the cigar shop. Strange thing, I happened to be at the cigar shop. I was at the cigar shop. And because um, I live there. I was at the cigar shop. And uh, I walked in, and there's a guy, he's been there forever. Like, he, I, I think he comes with the shop. I, he's been there, I've, as long as I've been there, he's been in that same chair. I see him come and go, but he's always, he's always there when I'm there. And um, he's there before I got there, still there. And he clearly has um, uh, some sort of a physical ailment of some sort. Uh, it looks painful. He's clearly in, in pain, significant pain. Always smiling, always a great attitude. Hey, Joe, how are you? Like, hey, what's up, man? We talk, chit-chat, you know. I never asked him what's wrong because it's not my business, right? We're not that tight. Seems like a sweet man. And the other day he asks me, he's like, hey, how's your week going? And I was just honest, and I was like, it's, it's pretty bad. <laughs> it's a bad week. And, and he smiled, and he said, yeah, I'm sorry. And I go, yeah, well, you know what? It's like, we shouldn't be surprised, it's not like the world owes me a great week. It's not like God owes me a comfortable week. I said, I said, I said you know what I'm, I'm learning is that uh, God fits us for the day he gives us. If we have faith. If we have faith to see that, if we have faith to receive that truth, God fits us. He uses all of the things in our lives to prepare us for the next thing. So God fits us for the day that he, he gives us and this guy, who I know is in pain, says, I think that's right. Then I, I thought it was just so interesting and sweet. I don't, I don't know what he believes. I don't know where he's at. But he's humble. And he even looks happy at times, you know? 
The faith will fit you, prepare you for the chaos. Because God's promises are believed and our purpose is embraced so we know whom to seek and where to go in the midst of the day of trouble, in the midst of the day of disappointment. And disappointment is for everyone. Everybody gets disappointment. Congratulations. We all get it. There, there's, you're going to have years where there is so little, you don't even notice it. Smooth sailing, good days, sunny days, happy days. And then there will be other seasons where it's just disappointment after disappointment. You know, it's hard seasons. Disappointment is for everyone. Disappointment is always a component in chaos when it arrives. But God will not let you down. He will not disappoint you. I mean, well... Listen, God will only disappoint those who expect him to give them what they do not deserve. Then God will disappoint you. If you have unrealistic expectations, you might be disappointed. And sometimes, I know, sometimes we just kind of think something's going to happen. We're not being super self-righteous and gross about it. We just kind of, are, oh, this is probably going to happen. And then it doesn't happen, and we're disappointed. But it's the self-righteous that look at that and then say, God, what are you doing I deserve better. You owe me more. God only disappoints those who expect him to give them what they do not deserve. He only disappoints those who expect God to give them what he has not promised. But he satisfies everyone who receives what he has promised. And this is for everyone. This is for everyone, but please hear me. If you are not yet a believer, maybe you've been asking questions and seeking, asking, looking, trying to figure things out. The very first time you trust or believe the promise of God, it'll be this. It's the promise of becoming a child of God through faith in Christ. This is the first promise that we ultimately really believe and become Christians in. We read it in John's Gospel, chapter 1, verse 12. It says, but to all who did receive Jesus, that is, to believe him, to believe in him, to believe him, right? But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God who are born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. Everyone who believes in Christ becomes God's child. God becomes our father. We are forever loved. And all of those promises that are yes and amen in Jesus are now for you. So I want to encourage you, if you are not a Christian, consider Christ Repent of your sins, believe in him, and become the child of God by his grace. And if you are a child of God going through chaos or disappointment, then look to the God who has made promises to you, who will certainly fulfill them, and cry out to God for the help that you need. He will surely give it. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we trust you. We trust you in days of ease and in days of discomfort. And Lord, if we're struggling to trust you, we pray that in your mercy, you would change our hearts, meet our needs, and accomplish great things for your glory. Lord, we do not want the world 
to rejoice over our misery by thinking that you have failed to keep your promises. Help them to see that you are faithful and kind to sinners like us. In Jesus' name, amen.